for being so new to us. Thank you for keeping us safe thus far. Lord, we ask you to help calm down all these nuts with uh, all the scares going on. Lord, we ask you to um, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, help us receive the teaching. We love you, thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Romans chapter 9. And verse number, let's start reading in verse... Well, let's start reading verse 1 again, and we'll just uh, break into kind of what we were talking about last week. And we won't have any comments on the first couple of verses, but it does help the uh, context to read it. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh." who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by Isaac, excuse me, by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Let me read that again without the parentheses. Verse number 11 is a parentheses. It's a, it's a, a further thought on the matters. But the clear thought is given with uh, verse 10 and 12. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. All right, now, this would be a pretty straightforward passage of Scripture if somebody hadn't messed with it already. And we went over... In Romans 2, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody's come through at least and started in the, in the Romans uh, from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, so, for, so forth. Uh, as it says up there, there's Romans 1 and Romans 2. Romans 1 is, is chapter 1 through 6, which you'll find on the sermon audio. But at any rate, in chapter 2, uh, the Bible says that he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And of course, if we're, we're putting that together with chapter 9, you get this strange teaching that, that Christians are spiritual Jews and that they're trying to, uh, you know, what that ultimately leads to, a lot of people teach that. Bible believers teach that, that Christians are spiritual Jews. And what that ultimately leads to is uh, replacement theology, that Jews are no longer, uh, God's no longer interested in the Jew and all he's going to deal with from now on is just Christians. N New Testament born again Christians. God's never going to go back to the Jew. God's never going to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament to the Jew. With only spiritual Jews. And there is several problems with that. One of which is that we are, if we are spiritual Jews, why can't we get the promises to those Jews? The promises to the Jews in the Old Testament are many and physical. 
Now we're blessed with a lot of spiritual blessings that the Jew couldn't attain in the Old Testament. And the Jew is blessed with a lot of physical things in the Old Testament that we don't get. We, you do what God tells you to do. He gives you houses, money, land, uh, all these things that are very important in people's physical lives. But that's just not true in the New Testament. You can be very godly and poor. And because you are godly doesn't mean you're going to get rich. Uh, but the Bible says in the New Testament that godliness with contentment is great gain. So, in uh, Romans chapter 9 here, you've really got to go through, if you could just take a person who'd never read the Bible, never heard any preaching, you could take it straight through and, and teach it uh, plainly and clearly without having to clear that up. But when you come back to verse number 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, and speaking of the nation there, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, the, the mistake that you would make in this passage of Scripture is when you hear, when it says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The mistake that you would make is to say that some of Abraham's children Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, some of those 12 tribes that come from Jacob, some of them are really Jews. And, but not all of them. Some Christians are spiritual Jews. And you put the Christian into this statement. If you're putting the Christian into this statement, you're making a mistake. Because the Christian's not in the chapter. He's not, he's not being spoken about in the chapter. But who is he speaking about? He says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise. See, that's where you put the Christian in. But the children of promise, okay, that's talking about a Christian. That's the mistake that you make right there. So he says, again in verse 8, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children. He's not talking about Israel is not the children, but we are. Or Israel's not the saved, but we are. That's not what he's saying. Because God, when, uh, when God gave Abraham Isaac, he said, I'll bless you, them that bless you and bless them, uh, curse them that curse you. When Jacob comes along, he said, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. When the 12 tribes come along, he said, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And so the, Abraham does have a direct line of descendants who are Israel. But you've got to remember here uh, who actually does show up in the context. Verse number 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Esau is a son of Abraham. But he's a son of the flesh. He's not a son of the promise. See, the promise goes to Jacob. And he's not talking about Christians versus Jews. He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then on the flip side of that, Abraham does have physical sons who are not children of the promise. Not only that, but you know, uh, there's Ishmael. That's a son of Abraham. It's a son of Abraham according to the flesh. And he has many sons. Ishmael has many sons. There's 12 tribes of Ishmael. But then there's not only that, after Sarah dies, Abraham takes another handmaid and has many, many, many children by her. And off the top of my head, her name's Keturah, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, but not a lot of people study that or even think about that. But those are all children in the flesh, and those people populate the entire Middle East. 
and in some cases the Far East. And so Abraham has many sons and many nations. Not only the promise is not only that Abraham would have a son, but the promise to Abraham was that many nations would come of him. And Christians, again, will jump into that. That many nations, that's us Christians. And, uh, but you're not, Christians are not nations. If, if Christians are nations, then Rome is right. And England is right. Church of England. Church states. There, are, there is no church state. And in the Christian economy, there are no nations. Uh, I've always tried to put it this way as far as dealing with the question of is uh, America a Christian nation? I deal with it this way. America is a nation and there's a lot of Christians in it. <laughs> and in a situation like this, when you have a great majority of Christians, of course, you can argue about that at the present time, but in the early days of America when they were colonies and then when they became a United States, there was it was heavy Christian. So if you've got a if you've got a democratic style of government where a lot of Christians are putting in their input, of course you're going to have Christian influence. But America is a nation that has a, a, a large influence of Christians still today. That's true. Whether good Christian or bad Christian, that's a different story. But there are no nations, and so the, it, you'd be tempted to supplant. You'd be tempted to usurp this position. God said of Abraham he would have many nations. That's us because we're Christians. No. No, it's not you. That's not what's being said here. So, so you confuse yourself when you're reading this chapter or you can be confused by others when reading this chapter when they start putting you into the promise instead of the Jew. And if you work that thing all the way out, if you work it all the way out to the good, you come up with Romans 10.9. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, that makes no difference. The way to salvation in the New Testament economy is call upon the name of the Lord. Now, if you work that around to the bad side, you'll end up Christians replace Jews. God is all through with Israel. And then once you start along that line of thinking, we have a habit once we start along that line of thinking, whether you're a good Bible believer or a poor Bible believer, or a Baptist, or a Methodist, or whatever. Once you get along a line of thinking and somebody convinces you that that's what the Bible's saying, you almost become rabid about it. No, that's right, and I'll fight you over it. Well, just read the Bible. Read the context. The Christian's not in the context. The context of the, of the verse says, not all the physical seed of Abraham are Jews. There are plenty of the... There are plenty of people who fall under the category of the sons of Abraham that are not sons of the promise. They're not recipients of the promise. And in the case he says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So there is a, a physical seed that is blessed spiritually, and that's Jacob. And there is a physical seed that's not blessed spiritually, and that's Esau. What shall we say then is their unrighteousness with God? Verse 14, God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Well, if you think about that, that that's, there's not a mystery there. The Calvinists will try to make that into a mystery. We don't know. And we can't, uh, you know, uh, John MacArthur says, it's not up to me to unscrew the unscrutable. They ask him the question. It, the question they ask him was, if Calvinism is true, why are we asked to witness? God knows who he's going to save. And he says, well, that's not up to me to answer. The reason it's not up to him to answer is because there's no answer for it. What he has is a philosophy. 
Or whatever good teachings he might have, what he has in regards to Calvinism is a philosophy. It's not a Bible doctrine. He drew it from passages like this that was talking about actual people that have actual names. He says, Jacob have I loved. It's not a mystery. It's Jacob. Esau have I hated. It's not a mystery. God hated Esau. God doesn't hate anybody, does he? God hated Esau. Okay. Well, when he comes down into this verse here, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. It's not a mystery. Who will he have mercy on? Jacob. Who will he not have mercy on? Esau in this case. Well, if you're going to make that a New Testament doctrine and you wind up with some unnameable, unnumberable people who God preordained to be saved or predestinated to be saved, then you got yourself a mystery you're not going to be able to answer. But if you ask yourself the simple question, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, there, there has to be an answer to that. You have to put a name. Just like you can put the name Jacob on it, you're going to have to be able to put a name on it. And that's easy to put a name on it. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Whosoever. Right? Okay, who will he not have mercy on? Whosoever won't. And it's clear and it's plain. And it's contextual. And there's no mystery about it. There's no missing pieces. There's nothing left up here in your brain. I heard it taught the wrong way all of my life even though I wasn't a Calvinist and my pastor wasn't a Calvinist. But when he would teach that, or when they would run across passages like that, or when visiting preachers would run across, uh, would come in and, and start teaching about stuff like that. There's just, uh, okay, it's, it seems reasonable. Some of the words are the same. But it always left this blank spot up. And if you can imagine a puzzle with a piece missing, that's what was going on in my head. This, it doesn't make sense the way you're trying to explain it. But if you always leave the passage alone and not try to bring things into it that is not, in the passage, then things begin to fit better. God loved Esau. God loved Jacob, and he hated Esau. He'll have mercy on who he will have mercy. And those things are clearly defined. Those things are clearly defined. Over in the book of Acts, you have Paul. He's preaching in a town. A lot of people believe. A lot of people don't believe. One week later, he comes back and preaches again. And the message that he's preaching is not... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, he preached the week before. He preached the week before and a lot of people believe. Those people show up again and some troublemakers show up and break up the preaching. And Paul only says, he only says a few things. He encourages them to follow on. He, he encourages them to keep on with what uh, they've already believed. And the disruptors disrupted the service. And the only the only message that he preached in that service was, you believed. Now I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, you believed. You've heard the preaching already. Stick with that. And the Bible says, those that were ordained to eternal life believed. It's the strongest Calvinist verse they've got in the Bible. But you see, the people believed last week. And those people that were there that week, all they were hearing was, stick with it. Stick with it. Well, who's ordained to eternal life? Whom he will he have... Whom he, on whom he will, he will have mercy. Who is that? The answer to both of those questions are the same. The people that the people that believe, the people that believe, the people that believe. And of course, in this situation, Romans nine and ten, you call on the name of the Lord. It's it's an act of faith. It's so clear in the Gospels that when a when a person responds through an act of faith, the Lord 
loves those people. Look, he looks at a centurion and says, there isn't this much faith in all of Israel. He said, I've looked through all of Israel and I can't find faith like I got here. The Lord loves that. That's who the Lord loves. People of faith. That's who He ordained to eternal life. Those people that believed last week is what Acts is saying. Those people who believed when the gospel was preached last week. Those are the people that showed up. They're ordained to eternal life. They believed last week. Now they've stuck with the stuff because just like the Thessalonians and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians he says to those Thessalonians he says he says, uh, I, I know and I recognize true belief in you because you withstood persecutions just like the, the original apostles and prophets and stuff like that uh, he said the same testimony that was in the original believers is the testimony that's in you and you've passed it on to these other folks you can read that stuff for yourself you can read that stuff for yourself, but that is these things are very clear when you read the text, you grasp the context, and you put only the pieces that are there, there, then the answers uh, begin to fall into place. When you try to reach out and grab, like uh, for example, turn to Romans chapter 2. When you begin to try to grab stuff to make it fit, you're always going to end up with that missing puzzle piece. Romans chapter uh, 2 and verse number 28. Romans 2.28 For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, uh, circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Okay. Obviously that means that Christians are spiritual Jews. It must be obvious because that's the way every preacher I've ever heard teach on that teaches it but that's not what it says what does it say brother mike it says those that it says he is a jew which is one inwardly that's what it says well doesn't that mean that we're spiritual jews where does it say we're spiritual jews it doesn't say we are spiritual jews it says he is a jew which is one inwardly is that what it says okay the prime example is david he was a man after God's own heart. You think he was the only one that ever existed? Absolutely not. When Jesus himself showed up when he was born, there was spiritual inward Jews. If you want to call them spiritual Jews, there was inward Jews right there at the temple. Lord, you've let me see him show up. There was Pharisees that didn't even know what it was all about. There was doctors of the law that were sitting there asking 12-year-old Jesus questions because they didn't have a clue. Well, how did this little old lady in the temple know who he was? She knew who he was without knowing his name. You see that? Because she was a Jew inwardly. She was, she was looking to see what most people were blind to. She was looking and seeing what most people were blind to. Paul says in, in Colossians that, that the people's, the Israelites' eyes were blind. Corinthians says the same thing. They were blind to these things. But some people weren't blind because they, their eyes were open. And here's the little lady in the temple when nobody else understood. Hmm. So there's Jews inwardly and there's, there's Jews. Well, the Pharisees are great examples who are clueless about what's going on. And that's, that's what you're really dealing with in, in uh, Romans chapter 9. But not only that, uh, let's look in um, Galatians, the book of Galatians, 
chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 26. For ye are all children of God by faith. See that context? Children. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See the context the same. Children. In Romans 9, it's children of Abraham. Well, here he says it's children of God. What's the process? By faith. Faith in who? Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew. There ain't no Jews. So I'm a spiritual Jew. Well, you don't count then. There's no Jews in the body of Christ. So don't, don't let anybody confuse you on titles and types and stuff like that. You can get typology out of this and, and you can reason this way, but you can't put a stamp on yourself and say, I'm a spiritual Jew. Now, the covenant of Abraham does apply to you by faith. They apply to you in regards to faith. The type there is the Jew being placed into a covenant because of the faith of Abraham. That's where the application lies. You're placed into Christ by the works of Christ. Just like the children of Israel are placed into the covenant of Abraham by the the life of Abraham. God said and he believed. God promised and he believed. Because he believed, God gave him his righteousness. That's exactly what happened to you when you got saved. That's Romans chapter 4. That's already been covered, but in Romans chapter 4, it's imputed righteousness for belief without works. That's what happened to Abraham. That is Old Testament salvation. There is no Old Testament works salvation. There's Old Testament faith of Abraham, which makes the children of Israel safe. Along along comes the law, and you do this, you'll be blessed. You do this particular bad thing, you'll be cut off from the people. What people? The people of Israel. Whose people are Israel? Where do they go when they die? Abraham's bosom. So, you've got to be careful when you start talking about salvation in the Old Testament because most of it, it has to do with a covenant and being secured by the faith of one man. Is that a theme in the Bible? Something happening to everybody because of one man? We're all lost because of one man. All Israel is in a covenant because of one man. All, all Israel should have been saved because of the salvation of one man, Jesus Christ. They rejected him. All the Gentiles, they're saved by faith in what? One man. And that's the way it's going to be. That's the way, it's, that's the way it always has been. That's the way it is always going to be. Uh, the, the whole human race was saved because of one man, Noah. It's always going to come down to God dealing with one man. In the New Testament, God dealt with one man. It's not Mike Morseberger. It's not Mike Easter. It's not Derek West. It's just one man, Jesus Christ. You get in that way. And so when you start dealing with these things, don't get messed up thinking you're what you are is a born-again Christian. That's what you are. You are a son of God. You can put it that way. There's a couple of different ways you can put it. You're a believer, which also makes you a recipient of that mercy in Romans chapter 9. He says so in verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. That's a believer. And you can prove, listen, that doesn't leave an empty puzzle piece up in your brain. It doesn't leave an empty puzzle piece. It, it's provable throughout all the rest of the scripture. 
without faith, it is impossible to please God. I started off with the, with the first and most essential building block, and because of that, I am what I am. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I became a new man. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So don't get messed up in these passages like this that, that people can pull out a name like Jacob or Esau or, or Mercy or uh, Damnation or something like that. Whom I will, I will have mercy and will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Well, you know, there's an opposite side to that as well as far as Esau is concerned. You, I think you can see that. So, verse 17, he says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So, here's a guy that gets mercy, and here's a guy that gets used as an example, which isn't very good. God used you as an example. It's sometimes not very good. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And if, you, if God calls to you and you don't answer, he'll harden you. That's a promise. You learned that back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Right? So let's turn and look at it. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? That sounds like a plea to me. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. That's what the Lord's doing here. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? Doesn't look like he preordained them to be dummies or hardened or hard or unbelievers. He's reasoning with them. How long will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. How long are you going to do that? Turn you at my reproof. A chance for repentance. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. You're hard-headed, but if you'll turn to me, I'll give you my spirit. 24. Because I have called and you refuse, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. I have stretched out my hand. That's, that's ultimate Pharaoh business right there. How many times did Moses stretch out during the life, of, during the ministry of Moses to Pharaoh? Which that's what it was. It was a ministry. And the last time he stretched out his arm, his arm, Pharaoh didn't come back from that. Is that right? Absolutely. Because I've called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. That's a definition of who he'll harden. So these aren't mysterious things that were preordained. This is your response to him. And by your response to him, you're either receive mercy, or your response to him, you'll receive a hard heart, a hardened heart. And a lot of times the devil gets credit for that. You better watch out. The devil will, you know, do this or do that. The devil will, you know, will take over your mind or stuff like that. Only after you've allowed that. Only after you've turned your heart and mind on God. Sometimes that can happen on a national level. You've seen that in history if you've studied history. Verse 19 in verse, uh, Romans 9 verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? See, this idea of questioning God is really a, um, a ridiculous thing. If you've studied the Scripture, if you see all these things fit together, I mean, I've given you a very 
brief, but I think a very uh, firm and strong, stable explanation of what's going on here. If you can see the hand of God working in a man's life and God reaching out to a man through events in his life, preaching. I mean, the Bible says the heavens declare his handiwork. If you can see, if you can see and understand in the scripture the way that God moves on a man's heart, the way that God deals with his conscience, the, the way that God deals with him through the preaching, the way that God deals with him through his interaction in the world and with others. Uh, man, who the Bible says is God's right hand. You ever read that passage of scripture? Well, in dealing with all these things and a man hardens himself against God, these things are a conclusion, not a beginning. You would think, a lot of people would think, well, God made me hard. Why is, he, why is he going to punish me for it? But no, God didn't make you hard that way. You made yourself hard through your response to God. And the, the working out of things in a man's life precludes the argument. It does away with the argument. Why did you make me this way? It's not even an argument. You, you just assume these things. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he harden it. You can take that at face value and you don't even need an explanation for it because he's God. And through the course of life, you've either humbled yourself and called on him or you've hardened yourself and turned away from him. And all the things that God allowed to come to you or happen to you was his own choosing and his own will. Some of it may be very bad. Some of it may be very good. Some people seem to have better lives than others. But all men have life. Uh, John chapter 1. I read it to you last week. I believe it was last week. John chapter 1 and verse number 13 which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's the author of your life. It's a mistake if you read born again into that verse. It's not there. It's not there. Uh, if you want to see born again, that's chapter. That's verse 12. Verse 11, He came into His own, His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, whom He will, he will have mercy, whom He will, He hardeneth. As many as received him, to them he had mercy. That's an, identif that's an identification. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the Son of God, even to them that believe on his name. What about those people? They were born. Not of blood. Blood didn't make you live. The life of the flesh and the blood, but blood didn't make you live. You can take a dead, we could go over across the road and dig up a dead corpse and pump it blood into it. It's not going to live. Fresh blood. We could draw it right out of Derek's arm. Pump it, I mean, it would it just come from a beating heart. But if it got in that flesh, it's not going to make it live. It's not going to make it live. It's not where the life comes from. The life of the flesh is in the blood, but it don't provide the life. It's not the source of life. Well, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Family decides they're going to have a baby. It's not their decision. I think most everybody understands the mechanics of that. But following the mechanics of that is not going to guarantee you're going to have a child. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Or somebody else. I mean, a doctor can't help you with it. There's been people that spend money at a doctor. And you say, well, the doctor 
helped us out. We had a kid. God gave you the kid. The life come from God. Nor of the will of the flesh, uh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh. It's, it's a birth. And that first birth, it comes from God. And when God gives you that life, that life is going to go through the course of this life. And the way you react and the way you respond to life is going to be hum- humility or bitterness. And those responses are ultimately going to lead you to heaven or hell based on what you do with what God does for you. Uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And that verse ought to have a, you know, great uh, meaning to you based on these things. Because in this, in this condition uh, or in this position, this doctrinal position, it leads some men to say, hey, if I'm, doing, if I'm bad and I'm doing what God wants me to do, then how's he going to find fault with me and judge me? If God, makes, if God hardens one and God has mercy on one, if I'm one of the hard ones, why is he finding fault with me? No, that's not. The, you can't even ask that question. It's not a legitimate question. Because God hardens, the people that God does harden are not some predestinated group of people. It's people who God gives life and they turn their back on God. They're, you could even say they're agnostics. They don't know and they don't care. So I'm not responsible, right? You're doggone right you're responsible. The way you respond is going to... I mean, to the smallest of things. Can you imagine that? Response to the smallest of things. Decides whether you get hard or whether you get mercy. And I believe this stuff can spill over into your Christian life. Because I've uh, done things in my Christian life. And I'm sure if you're honest, you have too. To which you found yourself... uh, You found yourself being harder for the experience than you were softer. For the experience, and at the the alternative is probably also true. You've probably done some things in your Christian life for which you were uh, you found yourself in a better state of humility or a better state of mind. For you went through it, you responded correctly, and you got help in some way, shape, or form. And that, in and of itself, is a, is a kind of mercy. And so we've all been harder or softer, for lack of a better word, of harder of heart or softer of heart. Because of our responses to the things in our Christian life. And I think that's very... Uh, I don't have to you know, go around the room and ask if that's true. I know it's true. I just know that it's true. Because even as a Christian, the wages of sin is still death. The effects of sin is still the same. The effects of unbelief. Even though you're a believer. Even though you're in that category of believer. There are still some things that you that may be found in unbelief about. If we believe, if we, remember we had that talk last week about we and us and all that stuff. If we believe not, yet he remains faithful, abides faithful. And so that's a great truth. Absolute five minutes. I went over my class about five minutes there, but that's all right. Any questions about that?